0: Please turn in your Bibles to our Scripture reading, John chapter six, verses sixty to seventy-one. John six, sixty to seventy-one. Our sermon passage is Second Samuel chapter fifteen, verses thirteen to thirty-seven. 2 Samuel fifteen, thirteen to thirty-seven. But first, our Scripture reading, John six, verses sixty to seventy-one. Brothers, this is the very word of God. This is your Lord speaking to you. Please give your full attention to God's word as it is now read. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Now turning to Second Samuel chapter 15, beginning at verse 13 and reading through the end of the chapter. And a messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. Then David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly, and bring down ruin on us, and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servants said to the king, Behold, your servants are ready to do whatever my lord the king decides. So the king went out, and all his household after him, and the king left ten concubines to keep the house. And the king went out, and all the people after him, and they halted at the last house. And all his servants passed by him, and all the Carathites, and all the Pelathites, And all the 600 Gittites who had followed him from Gath passed on before the king. Then the king said to Ittai the Gittite, Why do you also go with us? Go back and stay with the king, for you are a foreigner and also an exile from your home. You came only yesterday, and shall I today make you wander about with us, since I go I know not where? Go back and take your brothers with you, and may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you. But Ittai answered the king, As the Lord lives, and as my lord the king lives, wherever my lord the king shall be, whether for life or for death, there also will your servant be. And David said to Ittai, Go then, pass on. So Ittai the Gittite passed on with all his men and all the little ones who were with him. And all the land wept aloud as all the people passed by, and the king crossed the brook of Kidron. And all the people passed on toward the wilderness. And Abiathar came up, and behold, Zadok the king uh, came also with all the Levites, bearing the Ark of the Covenant of God. And they set down the Ark until the people had all passed out of the city. And the king said to Zadok, Carry the Ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and let me see both it and his dwelling place. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am. Let him do to me what seems good to him. The king also said to Zadok the priest, Are you not a seer? Go back to the city in peace with your two sons, Ahamaz, your son, and Jonathan, the son of Abiathar. See, I will wait at the fords of the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. So Zadok and Abiathar carried the ark of of God back to Jerusalem, and they remained there. But David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot, and with his head covered. And all the people who were with him covered their heads. And they went up, weeping as they went. And it was told David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. While David was coming to the summit where God was worshipped, behold, Hushai the archite came to meet him with his coat torn and dirt on his head. David said to him If you go on with me you will be a burden to me but if you return to the city and say to Absalom I will be your servant O king as I have been your father's servant in time past so now I will be your servant then you will defeat for me the counsel of Ahithophel Are not Zadok and Abiathar the priests with you there so whatever you hear from the king's house tell it to Zadok and Abiathar the priests behold their two sons are with them there Ahimaaz Zadok's son and Jonathan Abiathar's son and by them you shall send to me everything you hear so Hushai, David's friend, came into the city just as Absalom was entering Jerusalem. This ends the reading of God's most holy, infallible word. Let us pray. Our gracious God, your word is rich. It contains so much, and much of it we don't understand. It's far removed From us, both in time, but also in distance, and its customs seem strange to us. The names, O Lord, are foreign to our ears and difficult for us to speak. And yet, dear Lord, we recognize that there still is a commonality between human beings of any age. We've been created in your own image and after your own likeness. And we recognize, dear Lord, that your Old, Old Testament saints and we have much in common. And so we pray, dear Lord, that you would teach us, you'd help us to understand your word and this portion of it, that you'd give us insight by your spirit, that you would guide us, O oh Lord, that you would cause us, as we understand more, better to worship you. And so we pray, Lord, that by your spirit, our minds would be enlightened that you'd give us strength and encouragement, that you'd cause us, by the preaching of your word, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ more closely. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now you will remember that in the previous passage, from the end of chapter 14 through chapter 15, verse 12, That Absalom had returned to Jerusalem after a period of exile. But had not been in the presence of his father, King David, for the full two years following his return. Absalom fled, of course, after he killed his brother Amnon, after Amnon's rape of his sister Tamar. And after Absalom had conspired with Joab to have an audience with the king, during which David kissed his son and welcomed him back into his good graces... Absalom began his conspiracy to betray his father. As soon as this happened, this meeting with with David, Absalom began politicking. He started showing up at the gates to Jerusalem in the morning and greeting everyone who passed by. He was everyone's friend, but he was also calling into question his father's system of justice. He was saying, oh, if my father only would appoint men like me to hear your concerns, I could help to adjudicate them. I could help your life be so much better. But he won't. He doesn't. And he's old. And he doesn't understand. After four years of being back in Jerusalem, Absalom went to David to ask if he could go to Hebron to pay the vow he said that he took when he was in exile at Geshur. But the real reason he was going to Hebron was to set himself up as the new king of Israel. And as a result of Absalom's conspiracy against David verse 12 of the previous passage says, and the people with Absalom kept increasing. He kept adding to his number followers. Now that leaves David in a dire situation, in the dire situation in which we find him in our passage today, having to flee Jerusalem because of the imminent threat that Absalom posed to him. But David didn't flee alone. Many of his servants went with him, as would have been expected, but he had a few surprises as well. Ittai the Gittite, who had just come from Gath the day before, was going with him. And Hushai wanted to go with him. And so David was rejected by his own people in favor of Absalom, but there were still a faithful few who went with him as he fled into the wilderness yet again. This leads us to the main theme that I want you to keep before you as we work our way through the sermon today. Rather, brothers and sisters, than fleeing something in fear, fleeing from something in fear, flee to Jesus in faith. You say that again. Rather than fleeing from something in fear, flee to Jesus in faith. The sermon is divided into three parts. The first, fleeing to the king. The second, ascent in mourning. And the third, the seeds of victory. Again, fleeing to the king, that's the first part of the sermon. The second, ascent in mourning. And the third, the seeds of victory. And just to be clear, that's mourning with a U after the O, not the time of day. So let's look at the first point of the sermon, fleeing to the king. Verse 13 says, And a messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. Absalom's activities in Hebron were unknown to David up to the moment this messenger came to him and told him that these hearts, the hearts of the men of Israel, had turned against him, that they turned toward Absalom, that they were betraying uh, betraying David even as Absalom had. And as we've already pointed out, Absalom had won them over by undermining David's authority among the people. And now Absalom and what must have been a great multitude of people were coming to Jerusalem. They were headed his way from the south to the north. And the urgency was such that David gave the order for the closest to him, those closest to him to flee with him from Jerusalem. He told his people in verse 14, arise and let us flee or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly lest he overtake us quickly and bring down ruin on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And in verse 15, the king's servants tell him of their readiness to do anything their king decides. And so the king took everyone from his household except ten poor concubines he left them to keep his house, and the rest of them fled, stopping at the last house to conduct a pass in review of his people. Now, if any of you were in the military, you probably know what a pass in review is. It's an opportunity for a commanding officer, a, a, uh, perhaps a, a, a colonel or a general, to see his troops pass by, to go in front of him to see the readiness of people those who were serving under him. And that's in essence what David is doing here. He's making an assessment of those who were going with him. He's watching them as they pass in front of him uh, as they go past this last house in the city. Now this was both for the purpose of gauging their strength as well as to take stock of those who were sticking with him. As Joyce Baldwin says in her commentary, it was a review of long valued valued servants and troops whose years of allegiance made them doubly precious in such an emergency. And special mention is made of the foreigners who were fleeing with David out of the city. The immigrants, those who had come to David from other places, the Palestinians. And this shows, this emphasizes their loyalty to David over his own peoples. The Karathites, the Pelathites, the the 600 Gittites, they're all called out by name. But there's one man who catches David's attention in this pass in review, Ittai the Gittite. This was a man who had just arrived from Gath the previous day. And Gath, you'll remember from the the sermon last week, was David's home away from home after he was driven out of Israel by Saul. And the king Achish let him and his men and their families live there until Achish gave David the town of Ziklag. And the people, at least some of them, never forgot David, Ittai included And they came to him. They wanted to be with David. They wanted to follow David. And So David said to Ittai, after he had noticed him, he said to him in verses 19 and 20, Why do you also go with us? Go back and stay with the king, for you are a foreigner and also an exile from your home. You came only yesterday. And shall I today make you wander about with us, since I go I know not where? Go back and take your brothers with you, and may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you. Ittai is on the verge of going from one exile to another, a double exile, first from his hometown of Gath, from his people, and then from his newly adopted city of Jerusalem. And David would spare him the troubles that Ittai's decision to flee with David would bring. But what David doesn't seem to grasp at this point is that it appears Ittai has fled, not just to Jerusalem, not just away from Gath and from the Gittite people, Ittai has fled to David. David is the draw. The Lord's anointed is the one to whom Ittai has fled. Once with him now that he's with David, he's not about to walk away from David. And Itai's answer in verse twenty one says as much, As the Lord lives, and as my Lord the King lives, wherever my Lord the King shall be, whether for life or for death uh, so for death or for life, there also will your servant be. Ittai had fled to David, and now he is going to flee with him, whatever that might bring, even if it brings death. Now, we are told in Scripture to flee from things, such as in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18, where Paul tells the Corinthian church to flee from sexual immorality. And in 1 Corinthians 10, 14, where he says to flee idolatry, to get away from these things. But just as repentance implies turning away from sin and to Jesus Christ in faith, so fleeing temptation implies fleeing to Jesus Christ. Ittai has fled to David. He's not going to lose David now. David, as the Lord's anointed, prefigures the Messiah, Jesus, the the anointed one. And Ittai's response in verse 21 to David David, echoes David's great-great-grandmother, Ruth, who told her mother-in-law, For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And, of course, Ruth, his great-great-grandmother, was not an Israelite, was not a Judahite, was not from among the people of God. She was a Moabitess. In so many ways, David's experience, his betrayal by his own people, it echoes Christ's Experience It prefigures Christ's experience, I should say. It points forward to what Christ would experience when he was here. He was rejected by his own people. And after an initial uh, growth within the Jewish people of the Christian church, the Gentile ministry began. And the explosion of Christianity happened not among Christ's own people, but among the strangers, the aliens, those who were from without, outside of Israel. Ittai's response to David, in in a way, points forward to Peter's response to Jesus in John 6, verses 68 and 69. After Jesus had asked his disciples if they wanted to go away, these 12 who were closest to him, after this mass exodus of, of those who were called disciples had been with Jesus, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. For Ittai leaving David to stay in Jerusalem with a false king on the throne was just as unthinkable as Peter leaving Jesus and following the crowds who had abandoned him, even if it meant Ittai would die because he stayed with David. And that brings us to the second point of the sermon, Ascent in Mourning. The procession of the people continues past David once His exchange with Ittai is over, with the remainder of the people and even the little ones, children, going on before David. It's interesting that the text makes a point of of pointing out the fact that there are children fleeing, that they are going away. David was making his way east to the Jordan River, to the lands east of it, we find out later. But while they were making their way east, before they had gotten too very far outside the city, Abiathar and Zadok, along with the Levites, caught up with David, and the Levites were carrying the ark of God. But in verses 25 and 26, David tells Zadok to carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, David says, He will bring me back and let me see both it and his dwelling place. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am. Let him do to me, what seems good to him. David knows that the ark ought not to go with him to the other side of the Jordan River. He knows that its rightful place is now in Jerusalem. He trusts in the Lord, and he understands that God is sovereign over all things. He places himself in the Lord's hands, whatever may come. And in verses 27 and 28, David speaks to Zadok the priest, reminding him that he is a seer. And he tells him to go back to Jerusalem. And David then tells him that he will wait at the fords of the wilderness, which was one of the usual crossing points of the Jordan River on the eastern side. He was going to wait there for informa- information that Zadok would send through his son Ahamaz and Abiathar's son Jonathan. And verse 29 says that Zadok along with the rest they departed from David. They took the ark back to Jerusalem where they remained. And so the priests headed west, back to Jerusalem, but David and all of those with him went east toward the Jordan River, which took him up the Mount of Olives. And verse 30 says that he was weeping as he went barefoot and with his head covered. He was a man of sorrows, again prefiguring Christ's own ascent of the Mount of Olives. So David ascends the Mount of Olives mourning as he goes. And in the words of one author, keenly he felt God's judgment in this turn of events. As the Lord's anointed, he was rejected by the people. He felt God's judgment. He was weeping both for the rejection of his people, not only of him as their king, but also God as their Lord. But he also understood what this was about, why this was happening. There's little doubt that David was aware that his own sins had led to this moment. His own sins had led to his rejection. His house was in disarray. One of his sons had risen up against him after that son had murdered one of David's other sons. His daughter had been raped by the other son. David seems to be unable to to bring things back into line, to, to sort the matter out. And then David finds out more bad news. Verse 31, as David is ascending the Mount of Olives, verse 31 says that Ahithophel, one of his most trusted advisors, was among the conspirators with Absalom. And David immediately goes in prayer before the Lord. Oh Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. David hasn't, at least yet, he hasn't succumbed to a hopeless resignation. He hasn't given up. Even as he flees from Jerusalem, he flees to the Lord in prayer. He knows that his hope doesn't rest in his own abilities or his own strength, but in the mighty hand of God, and it is into his hand that he commits himself. He entrusts himself to the Lord. That brings us to the third and the final point of the sermon, the seeds of victory. Right as he comes to the summit of the Mount of Olives, God answers his prayer. Verse 32 says, While David was coming to the summit where God was worshipped, behold, Hushai the archite came to meet him with his coat torn and dirt on his head. Hushai is described in verse 37 as David's friend, which according to Dale Davis most likely is an official designation for Hushai, such as the king's special confidant. Ahithophel had been David's top advisor, but Hushai was very close to David as well. Instead of bringing Hushai along with him, David knows that God has answered his prayer, asking him to turn Ahithophel's counsel into foolishness. Hushai can help to thwart Ahithophel. And so David sends him straight back to Jerusalem. He tells him what to say to Absalom in verse 34. I will be your servant, O king, as I have been your father's servant in in time past. So now I will be your servant. And and in this way, David is confident that Hushai can help defeat Ahithophel's counsel to Absalom. He tells Hushai in verse 35 that Zadok and Abiathar are there. So whatever he learns in Absalom's court that's of value to David, he can pass along to them, who will in turn pass it to David through their sons. There's a system now of intelligence gathering and intelligence passing. And Hushai returns to Jerusalem, and verse 37 says that he went into the city just as Absalom was making his triumphal entry. Now David's circumstances don't immediately get better. He's got many trials ahead of him before he will be able to return to Jerusalem, and even after his return, terrible things happen. But the seeds of victory have been sown. He's got spies in Jerusalem close to Absalom who can pass the intel they gather back to him. He's got a trusted advisor in Absalom's court who can counter Ahithophel's considerable wisdom. Absalom enters a Jerusalem that has been seemingly abandoned by David. Even the ark is still there. He must have thought that this city was an easy victory for him. That David had practically handed him the key to the city. But David now has assets in place. And I think that David, more than he fled Jerusalem out of fear of Absalom, was fleeing to the Lord in faith. He was taking himself to a place where he had very little to depend upon except God. Everything was being stripped from him. There was no one else to whom he could go. God alone has the words of eternal life. And the 600-plus people who went with him, they weren't there to provide protection and support to him as much as they were being protected from Absalom and his men. They were all in the same boat together. They were trusting in the Lord. Now, there are times in our lives when we, too, are stripped of many things, if not everything that gives us support. And sometimes that happens as a result or consequence of sin when we face the consequences of things that we've done wrong. Sins, crimes that we've committed. We often have things taken away from us. Other times, it's simply living life in a fallen world for which these things happen to us. Whatever the reason... It's at those times when someone or something has been taken from you that you need to flee to the Lord. You need to run to Jesus Christ in faith. Our tendency as sinful human beings is to do the opposite when bad things happen. What do we tend to want to do? We want to go the other way. We don't want to meet with the Lord. Our tendency is to run and to hide, to bury our heads, to drown our sorrows by whatever means we have at hand. Our temptation is to to descend into darkness and the sinful behavior that goes along with it, hoping simply to forget our troubles. And we often use sorrows or setbacks in life as an excuse to indulge. Instead... In those moments, God calls us to flee to him, to run to him, and not the bottle, whether it's alcohol or pills, to run to him, and not whatever thing it is that tends to hold you in its grip and help you forget, to flee to Christ, who alone can cure your ills, who alone offers a salve for your sorrows. Fleeing to him means you are placing your life in his hands. Fleeing to him may be as simple as offering up a prayer to him, just as David did when he received that terrible news about Ahithophel joining the forces of Absalom. Fleeing to him means continuing to worship him despite how you feel. Because you know that he is the only one who has the words of eternal life. If you are tempted to run away when bad things happen, when sorrowful things when you experience loss or hurt or harm of some sort remember this Jesus Christ chose to become one of us in a sense going into exile from his place in heaven so that all those who belong to him who are in exile here on earth could flee to him in faith And that is exactly, brothers and sisters, what you are called to do. Flee to Christ. He is the banner, as Psalm 60 puts it, that the Lord has set up. He is the one who calls you to himself. Run to him. And he will give you exactly what you need. And that, brothers and sisters, is good news. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we thank you that Christ is there for us to run to. We thank you, Lord, that you have not left us to our own resources, to our own wisdom, to our own ways. We know that the path that we would choose when left to our sinful selves is the path of destruction, the path of great sorrow we pray that by your spirit we would run to the Lord Jesus Christ that we would flee to him and that we would cling to him we pray that you would give us the grace that we need to do that in those times of great trial And we pray dear Lord that we as a body we as a church would help one another as we flee to Christ together. It's in Christ's name that we pray this. Amen.